Today's emergency podcast is sponsored by CISO. Stay tuned for a special interview with the head of CISO, Evan Shapiro, once we talk through the breaking news of Arnold Schwarzenegger calling it quits as host of The Celebrity Apprentice. Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesternino here with some special coverage, and we were not expecting to get into this, but we have some special coverage for The Celebrity Apprentice. In fact, I may even say we have some breaking news. Breaking news are happening now. Yes, breaking news happening at this hour here on Friday, March 3rd, 2017. Host of The Celebrity Apprentice, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has announced in a statement that he will not be returning to host The Celebrity Apprentice. And here today to talk about all that is our Celebrity Apprentice podcast co-host. First, uh, welcome back to the podcast, Megan Z. Megan, how are you at this very important hour? I'm doing good. No statement yet from Patrick Schwarzenegger if he's out on the show. No statement yet. And then also joining me is a man that you will hear him and I have a conversation in the second half of this podcast with the head of CISO, Evan Shapiro. Uh, More on that to come. Uh, Here is the great Mixmaster Mike Bloom. Rob, I have very mixed emotions as well. Uh, obviously, I love talking with you guys. Excited to be talking about one of my favorite comedy platforms later. But uh, very, very unhappy to see someone will not be back on our TV screens yeah. uh, in quite some time. <laughs> that was not the statement. He did not say, I won't be back. So, all right, here is the official statement from Arnold Schwarzenegger that he released. He said, I loved every second of working with NBC and Mark Burnett. Everyone from the celebrities to the crew to the marketing department, it was a straight 10. And I would absolutely work with all of them again on a show that doesn't have this baggage. Baggage, Megan. I am baggage. Yes. Is this his small baggage, his medium baggage, or his big baggage? <laughs> well, well, let's let's think about that, though. Imagine if Patrick Schwartz, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger would actually be the perfect contestant on baggage because it would be what, like, Got in a Twitter and got in a battle with the president of the United States over a show he once hosted. Uh, got his housekeeper pregnant, all married, and uh, sexually harassed several women. No, Mike, uh, I think you said a- Patrick Schwarzenegger. Did you say Patrick or Arnold? I did it first, and then I corrected myself. But I'm glad you called me out on that. Because right. <laughs> Patrick's baggage would be my uncle got into a fight with the president of the United States. <laughs> my, <laughs> my uncle, uncle. <laughs> such a nondescript man that he can't even. Provide his own baggage always people that are in his immediate circle (laughs) i'm sure that this is getting a lot of attention in the media for the political ramifications and it's been no secret that president trump has uh, taken some glee in the fact that the ratings have gone down for the arnold schwarzenegger celebrity apprentice I'd like to not delve too much into the politics and just keep it about the actual show. I think that that's probably going to be a more productive conversation. The thing that was very interesting to me is that, and tell me if this is an incorrect assumption, I was under the impression that The Celebrity Apprentice was kind of DOA at this point. And for Arnold Schwarzenegger to leave The Celebrity Apprentice, Mike, is this a case of, I know you're a big uh, Mad Men fan. 
Is this like when Sterling Cooper was going to get out of the tobacco business after they were going to lose the tobacco account? Yes. Is this going to end with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, doing a big cross country journey where he connects with himself and comes up with the best commercial around that will put him back in the business? Yeah. Maybe so. I mean, this is, this is definitely a case of, you know, you can't fire me because I quit. I mean, we at the end of our last Celebrity Apprentice podcast talked about how this show is a big sinking ship. And essentially, Arnold is just grabbing a life preserver and sort of seeing the light before it gets to the end of the tunnel and jumping into the waters and lets it sink from a a good distance away. But it's not so much that Arnold Schwarzenegger was being fired. It seems like there was almost no show that was going to be coming back for him to host again, Megan. Are you looking at this as that there is still some celebrity apprentice out there for Arnold Schwarzenegger to host? I mean, I guess from Arnold's perspective, he's saying that there was and he wanted to get out ahead of it. Uh, I think everyone was kind of surprised to hear this because nobody was really talking about the Celebrity Apprentice. I do have a small conspiracy theory that there is something called Arnold Sports Festival going on this weekend. The Arnold Sports Festival. That's how we get out to do the marketing. I used to get out to the marketplace in like a small speedo, but nobody wants to see that anymore. So then I have to get out on the Twitter. If you go on the Arnold Schnitzel uh, Snapchat, there's people... Doing choreographed jump roping. There is sword fighting. There is arm wrestling going on at Arnold Sports Festival. And uh, this is a one of a kind event. And I feel like the timing is too perfect that this is going on the day he makes the announcement. That being said, Megan, isn't Arnold Arnold Schnitzel's uh, sports (laughs) festival being lost in the shuffle here with this announcement? I I guess so. You're right. I mean, no one's really bringing it up that it happens to be, you know, the timing. But uh, it's all very surprising that this would come out, especially because, as we talked about, there really wasn't a show to be renewed here. We'd kind of said that this was maybe the so long for a while, at least a year or two. But hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) Exactly. I, I will say, um, I guess if I could throw my own conspiracy theory in a way, I believe an article actually came out the day before Arnold decided to call it quits on the rap.com saying that there was this new campaign called hashtag grab your wallet, which tried to, you know, boycott several companies that might be affiliated with the Trumps in their previous lives. And this campaign claims that through their efforts, they were able to get so far, six of the 12 sponsors affiliated with The Celebrity Apprentice this past season to say they're no longer returning to the show. So even if the show did come back, we would have no Arnold Schwarzenegger, no Tyra Beauty, no Larissa's Kitchen, oh. no LA Clippers, oh. no QVC, no Carnival, and no Honest Company, much to Nicole Chagrin, Rob. <laughs> Do you think, Mike, that... Schwarzenegger is just trying to get out from any potential anti-Trump backlash and is sort of like publicly parting ways with the show. So if there is any sort of anti-Trump protest that goes on that he can sort of like walk away free and clear of it. Is that what you think is just like uh, from a PR perspective? I, I, I guess what I was thinking about with these sponsorships vacating is more so that, as I mentioned before, and as we sort of talked about, the show itself was not looking good to begin with. So maybe he thought, like, let me get out while the getting is good and what you're implying sort of saving face. I mean, yeah, he, he, he let me get to the chopper before the protesters get here. And when they bring their cottage cheese thighs and all their other ailments, uh, not as fit as Arnold. <laughs> he could probably beat them to the chopper. But I mean, you do have to wonder as well his messaging for why he decided to leave 
it's not necessarily, you know, I had a good time on the show. You know, I just think it's at this moment in my life, I need to focus on uh, Arnold Schnitzel's uh, fantastic weightlifting competitions, go out and see it. Instead, he was really focusing on the predecessor and all the sort of drama that happened behind the scenes of this season. What do you mean stuff behind the scenes? Well, like, it's obviously like the show itself, because it was filmed beforehand, did not mention like the pray for rating stuff or the Twitter beefs that they were getting in. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I refer to when I mean behind the scenes stuff, not stuff that actually occurred on camera. Yeah, off-camera, exactly. Twitter, social media feud with the show's executive producer. So, all right. So, let's say Schwarzenegger is out. In some way, Megan, does this breathe some life into the Apprentice franchise? Is there an opportunity for there to be another incarnation of The Apprentice without Arnold Schwarzenegger? Of course, it seems like it's one of these shows they can film it when they want, they can put it in the can and they have a chance here to kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what didn't work with Arnold? What can we do here to kind of pivot in a different direction? Because the show still has some legs to it. It's just who are we going to put there to be at the the head of those legs, I guess. Can I, can I suggest a name? Yes. So I don't know if you guys saw, but after the news broke this afternoon, one notorious person in the reality television scene tweeted at Burnett to throw his fedora into the ring, metaphorically speaking. What would you two think about the Hans Prentice? I love it. This is a brilliant idea. I find my new apprentice. Nobody can be as good as me. I fire people. I'll throw Jason's socks in the fire. (laughs) Is that how he would fire people? He'd just throw their socks into the fire. (laughs) So what would this show be, the Hans Prentice? Well, I mean, Russell has had a storied past, right? He came into Survivor Samoa as this oil tycoon. So he knows something about business. He tried flipping houses. So that's at least two challenges they could do. The restaurant, too, from Holding Hans. Yeah, that's true. In all seriousness, I could see Russell Hans as a contestant on The Apprentice, but how is Russell qualified to be the host of The Apprentice, Megan? Oh, is he qualified? Probably not. And you and you have <laughs> talked about uh, Russell being on. I, you know, I believe you and Nicole talked about that on uh, some of the earlier podcasts. He's kind of been the front runner to be the person we're going to throw in the ring from our end to represent the Survivor community uh, on The Apprentice. But you know. Would it be interesting? Yes. Would it happen? No. But that's just the you know where we're living right now. Ah, reinvigorated Survivor. <laughs> Survivor was going down before Russell came along. Ah, fix the Apprentice. Ah, make Apprentice great again. Are Sean and Willie his advisors? And imagine if we got if we got Arnold's bodybuilding stories. What do you think Russell's stories would be? Ah, <laughs> uh, let me tell you about the time. I showed true perseverance when I lied about my dog dying in Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. It shows in business you need to get ahead any way possible. This reminds me of the time that I tried to acquire this title of sole survivor for only $10,000. And I would have done it if they would have let me. That would have been a good deal. I come up with great ideas like America should vote for the winner of Survivor. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So that the Russell Hans, we're fine with him being on as season of the Celebrity Apprentice. But Megan, we've tried a Martha Stewart Apprentice. It did not work. We tried an Arnold Schwarzenegger Apprentice. It did not work. Is it possible that the Apprentice format does not translate to anybody else except 
for some sort of a Trump version of this show? It's very possible. I mean, if you look at how many people watched The Apprentice this season, was it really have anything to do with Arnold? I think most people would say it had nothing to do with Arnold. You could point to that the cast wasn't on points like it was in previous years. But I think most people, you know, it just didn't have that draw that it used to. And part of that was how Donald ran the show. I think that part of it also, Mike, is that, you know, with the Trump version, like he actually had a company. It seemed like there was an actual job where I don't really know what Schwarzenegger Inc. is. So I think it's hard to find that combination of celebrity and mogul to sort of like give the show some weight. It's also interesting. I don't know if this is coincidental in that I know the civilian apprentice, they went out to L.A. for one season. That was the infamous Tent City season. And I know that they eventually did another civilian season a few seasons later. That's the one that Megan has previously talked about, uh, the recession era season of The Apprentice. But I think a lot of people veritably say that that season moving out to L.A. killed the civilian apprentice. We could then argue that the celebrity apprentice moving out to L.A. killed that show as well. So I hate to say it, Rob, but maybe the West Coast is just cursed when it comes to this type of show. So you think that there could be some sort of New York version of The Apprentice hosted by a different person? I mean, like, should we just let it go, Megan? Is it time to just give up the ghost with this? It's like I don't want to let it go, but sometimes you just have to. You know, I would I have rather it went out on top than have to watch it do this slow burn? Uh, you know, perhaps that's the best way to go, because realistically, who are they going to bring in? You know, I know before this previous season before Arnold was chosen, people like George Lopez were thrown around or even Mark Cuban, even though Mark Cuban hosted a show that was exactly like The Apprentice and that got canceled also. You know, so it was almost like who is that uh, silver bullet that you would bring in that could host it that could really bring it to the top again? And I'm not sure if we have somebody like that on the board. Bill Clinton. Oh, there you go. That's somebody on the board. Never mind. I'm wrong. <laughs> That'll do it. Talk about baggage. <laughs> I just wonder if it needs to be something that, I mean, do you, could you have to go completely the opposite direction if you're concerned like that? If, if it is an actual concern, and really, I don't believe that anti-Trump protests was the number one reason of the show. I think that the two-year layoff, I don't think that the ratings would have been that much better with the Schwarzenegger version of the show, like in this parallel universe where it's just two years after the last time that we did it up against the bachelor hosted by a non president Trump in this alternate reality. I just don't think that the ratings would have been that stellar in that scenario, Mike. It really is uh, a perfect storm in a way where, you know, between the cast, as Megan mentioned, the unfortunate time slot doubling up the episodes. And it seems like NBC was just trying to burn it off as well. Uh, Celebrity Apprentice is basically, you know, the little Mark Wahlberg helmed boat in the middle of this giant tidal wave. And unfortunately, it is not going to make it back home. I think it's easy for Schwarzenegger to blame Trump for this not being a success. But I just don't think that it was bound to be a success, uh, no matter what was going on in politics, Megan. Yeah, I mean, Arnold told us never give up, but I, I guess I guess give up was the was the right answer for him here was give up quickly. I'm not a loser. Give up. Should we get any other updates on this situation? If Mark Burnett should uh, say anything about a new potential host of The Celebrity Apprentice, that we will be there to talk about it all. Of course, uh, Megan, uh, lovely to get a chance to catch up with you. Yes, thanks for letting me pop in real quick. All right, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Meg Wants to Know. 
Now, Mike and I have a, another segment for you on this podcast where Mike and I yesterday had a chance to speak with Evan Shapiro. No, he's not Hannah's father. He is the head of CISO, the streaming comedy platform where you could see any number of new and original comedy series on any number of devices. We got the opportunity to speak with Evan about what is going on with CISO. Mike, of course, we all know is a big CISO fanboy. So we got a chance to talk with Evan about what's going on at CISO. Hope you enjoy. So I'm going to throw it to Mike and I talking with Evan Shapiro, the king of streaming comedy over at CISO. All right, everybody. So we have something different for you today that uh, we have a very special interview. First, let me bring in a man who's joining us uh, for this part of the podcast. And it is the great Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? So good. CISO, so good. (laughs) CISO, so good. Now, if you've listened to the podcast and you've ever heard us do the ad reads for CISO, I always try to have Mike Bloom on there because it's so easy with Mike because he almost could do the ad from the top of his head and he's never seen the copy that he loves all things comedy and is a big super user of CISO, correct? Absolutely. Uh, It came onto the scene, I would say last year, I know it was in beta for a while, but it's such a hodgepodge of different comedy tastes. And as the comedy scene has been slowly growing and different artists have been emerging across a variety of mediums, I think it does a great job of sort of picking across the aisles, these different artists and kind of putting them together in one platform to easily access. So what we're going to be doing here today is that we are going to be talking with the head of CISO today, that he is uh, the king of all things NBC streaming comedy, Evan Shapiro, the man who birthed CISO into life, that he is going to be joining us here to talk about CISO and uh, what's coming up and why you should check it out. And again, our listeners can get a free month of CISO with the promo code R-H-A-P, and I believe we have Evan on the line. Evan, how's it going? You're on with Rob Sesternino and also our CISO superfan, Mike Bloom. Hello? Hey, Evan, how's it How going? Are you? This is uh, Rob Sesternino from uh, Rob Has a Podcast, and then uh, I also have Mike Bloom, who's uh, one of our co-hosts, who's a, a huge uh, CISO nut. Hello, Evan. Hello, how are you? What does a CISO nut taste like? Like an almond? Um, It's a little salty, a little sweet at the same time. Really satisfies all the taste buds. So it's an all-encapsulated Savory. Nut. That's my all my family crust. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what was this was CISO nut's name again? <laughs> That's Mike. Hi, Mike. What what do you like so much about CISO? I mean, I guess for me, the, the, the thing that at least I always say whenever we talk about CISO on the podcast, and this admittedly sounds a little cheesy, maybe some cheese drizzled on top of that CISO nut, but I always feel like CISO to <laughs> me represents... An amalgamation of like the past, present and future of comedy in that there's obviously a lot of great original content that you're brewing. I actually just binged the entire first season of My Brother and My Brother and Me all over all over this weekend. And I watched it with my wife. I didn't listen to the podcast before and she absolutely loved it. So I love the brewing of original content at the same time being able to dive back into the archives of things like Faulty Towers, The Office, SNL, etc. So something that's really drawn me in. And I mean, I've been tangential to the UCB comedy scene here in New York. So I think that was sort of my first taste. I know that there were a lot of uh, of CISO's handprints all over the Del Close Marathon this year, as an example. So that yeah, was sort of my buy-in. Yeah. From there, I was able to explore a lot of the great content that CISO has to offer and sort of build from there. Yeah, no, that, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. So we sat down and we tried to map out a, the comedy genome, really starting with three or four core basic 
pillars, uh, Saturday Night Live, Monty Python. Um, and in the case of Monty Python, I had made a documentary about with a bunch of other people, executive produced a documentary about the Pythons a number of years ago. So we just called them up and talked to them and, and we did an exclusive deal for the entire Python canon. And then we took the Python, the Flying Circus, and up it and remastered it and recolored it and they were thrilled. Um, and we did the same thing with Kids in the Hall. And then we, we went out from there to UCB and, and Dan Harmon as, as some other major pillars and, and, and really Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon. And we went out in all directions to kind of continue that genealogy in, in the next wave. And whether it's Hidden America or My Brother, My Brother and Me or any number of these new shows, Harmon Quest, we, we feel like they're all part of the same family. So it's nice to hear somebody who's a user of the, of the platform or a member of the platform reiterate that back to us. It's really cool to, cool to hear. Absolutely. And I actually just started exploring the stand-up side of CISO as well. I guess I had sort of been brought in under the knowledge that, oh, this is really based around creating original content in terms of, you know, shows or recurring content. And then to see some one-off stand-up specials on there is great as well, considering that, you know, Netflix is becoming big on stand-up as well. Obviously, HBO has been in the game for a while. So to get in sort of the over-the-top stand-up game is uh, something that's really part and parcel with the other comedy stuff you do as well. Yeah, and then what we try to do there is serve this part of the stand-up uh, ecosystem that is missed by Netflix and HBO, uh, which is this really, I wouldn't say up-and-comer because there's a lot of great comedians like Janine Garofalo and Nick Thune mm-hmm. or, who are big deals coming in, but who really are a, a little bit more of a storyteller to a certain extent, but also just on a kind of different uh, plane. Um, and so whether it's Coco Diaz, who has this great podcast and an unbelievably loyal following or D- Doug Stanhope, who is a monster out there, um, selling out venues across the country on a constant basis. Um, you know, when we did his special, it just completely, um, blew up for us. And, and we've got a, a bunch of stand-up specials coming. Sashir Zamata's first stand-up special. Oh, wow. She's been oh, on Saturday Night Live for a while. Yeah, it's terrific. It's called Pizza Mind. Um, we've got Brent Weinbach's new special, which I actually have sitting on my uh, uh, desktop, uh, ready to watch right now. Um, Todd Barry, um, just a, a a bunch of really great stuff. The uh, the, the Sklar Brothers, which uh, you can use because we haven't announced it yet, but. Now I'm giving you some breaking news, and that'll make this more than an ad. It'll make it actually <laughs> content, branded content. But we're and, and they kind of announced it. But we've got a brand new series with Ron Funches hosting oh, a wow. bunch of really great comedians. And then you look at things like Night Train, the the Night Train show. Why I chose Night Train show. Um, you read the reviews of that, and they basically called it what we always called it, which is a art, artisanal comedy to a certain extent, all the way over to, to Big J Okerson's stand-up show, which is all crowd work. I mean, nobody's doing a set they've ever done before or will ever do again. It's like jazz and rock and roll and punk rock all mixed together. Um, and uh, that's called What's Your Fucking Deal? So yeah, we take, we take stand-up very, very seriously, but it all still feels from our standpoint of a whole with the rest of that stuff. Mike and I are both big SNL fans, and uh, that's one of my favorite things on CISO is to be able to go back and watch uh, any of the archives of SNL, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 one of the most thrilling things for me to do is to go back. Every time I go on to CISO, I have a playlist that I can go back into my history and look. And you see how many times I've looked at the George Carlin monologue, opening monologue from the first SNL. Hmm. Um, and 
I'm the oldest person probably by a lot on this call, but I remember watching that monologue um, and, you know, or seeing Eddie Murphy. And there's a lot of sketches on there that nobody's seen in a long, long time. Um, and we have every, all 42 years. Um, we're the only place that has all 42 years, the only place certainly that you can get it commercial free. And then to sit that next to the entire Kids in the Hall library, up res, in HD, remastered for the first time ever. The Python library, up res, in HD for the first time ever. Faulty Towers, Young One, Nathan Barley, IT Crowd, you know, all of that great comedy in one place. And then all this new stuff pretty much every third week. Um, yeah, we, we think we have a pretty good comedy channel. Absolutely. And I can say as someone who probably is the youngest person on this call, I greatly appreciate that because, you know, I know in the comedy scene, there are some people who say, well, there are the essentials, the textbook comedy shows that you have to go back and watch, whether you're doing sketch or otherwise. And I mean, you just mentioned a few of them, Kids in the Hall, Faulty Towers, the British version of The Office is another example. And to have one location where you can access all of that, and as you said, even have the ability to sort of bookmark in a way through that playlist option, the the things that you like that you can go back and watch at any point in time, I think is, is really, really useful. How old are you? I am 28. All right. Under 25, <laughs> I would have said I would have said, fuck you, but 28, you're, you're getting up there. You're almost 30. So. <laughs> you're, you're, your life will end. You can still say it if you want. Yeah. I'm mean, free no, to. No, no, he's a fan. I'm not going to, I'm not going to insult a fan unless they happen to be younger than the pair of socks I'm wearing. And then I can. <laughs> uh, I also uh, really like that. You could watch all of the clips from the late night shows on uh CISA with yeah. uh, Fallon and uh, Seth Myers, who I think is doing a really good job. Yeah, we, we uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've been killing it with SNL next day. So the, the day after, right after the show airs on Saturday Night Live, we have, you know, Alec Baldwin and Kate McKinnon and everybody else on the service in clips and in long form. But you're right. It, uh, and Jimmy is obviously the king of, of the internet on many days. But Seth Meyers in particular has just been killing it this past six or seven months, really stepping into it, I think is, is a void that was created when John left the, the Daily Show, frankly. Um, and, and he's doing, an unbel- I think, the best in the business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, having him next day and being able to watch it the next day, it's, it's just really it's great for the user. It's been great for us. And I like, you know, that's where I sometimes I don't stay up late enough to watch stuff. We have this, we have this really amazing project coming up. This year is 25th anniversary of Johnny Carson's last show mm-hmm. um, 55th anniversary of his first show and we're doing a show we announced it um late last year um called there's johnny uh created by paul riser and he's writing all the episodes as well and it takes place at the tonight show in 1972 um and it's all told through the eyes of these two young um man and woman who work on the show um and all the comedy and drama takes place backstage and then once an episode um, all the tension turns to the show, which is being taped. And Johnny's not a character in the show, but he looms large off in the distance. And we cut to the show and you're at home and suddenly you're watching the original footage of Johnny Carson interview somebody, uh, roll into your, onto your screen. Wow. Um, so it's a really, yeah. And, to, and, and so we're creating some historically fictional comedy moments yeah. that behind some of the most iconic moments on uh, the Tonight Show, like the interview with Muhammad Ali or the time the dog wouldn't eat the Alpo in the in the live read dog commercial. Um, our characters are, are his, you know, creating the history behind that. 
what's even what's even more interesting is the Carson estate or the Carson Library, run by Je- uh, Johnny's nephew Jeff Satsing, is executive producing the show with us, and that's how the footage is coming back to us. How the family came to own the footage in the first place um, is actually the central plot of the first season. So there's this meta inside a meta inside a meta thing with the history of NBC. We have SNL here. We have the tonight show. It's a really cool little thing that we're working on. We're just about done shooting it next week. And I can't wait for you guys. to see it. Does Paul Reiser have a a background in working in the tonight show or he just was a, a fan of Johnny from being on the show? He was on tonight show many, 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 many times yeah. going back to his first standup appearance there. Um, but he will tell you, they were not friends. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just an idea. Actually, I think uh, Jeffrey had a good hand in, in coming up with the idea, but Paul really ran with it. David Gordon Green is directing the first two episodes. He's also executive producing. Uh, Tony Danza plays Freddie DeCorvita, uh, Johnny's uh, longtime and very famous producer. Um, it's really Jane Levy, um, who's uh, this wonderfully talented young actress from Suburgatory and from Shameless. Um, is the female lead who plays a young woman who's a, a talent producer on the show. Um, but since 1972, it's very hard for a woman to get ahead in a show like that. Her dad, who's a super agent, helps get her the job. It's a it's a really terrific cast and script and project. I can't wait for you guys to see it. But I, that's months and months off, so I probably have wasted all this <laughs> well, I was gonna, time. I was gonna, no, I was it's say, exciting. It sounds like a Larry Sanders show for the 21st century, but it sounds like a Larry Sanders show for the 70s instead. <laughs> it's actually, I think if Larry Sanders and Mad Men had a baby. Oh, interesting. Or 30 Rock and Mad Men had a baby, basically. <laughs> it's, uh, this is that show. It's, it's actually uses 1972 as a stand-in for today. Um, you know, a president with interesting moral choices a lot of turmoil and you know, women's rights, racial tensions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a backdrop of 1972 Los Angeles um, as this workplace comedy with the biggest star in the universe in 1972 um, at the center of it. You think about this, uh, in 1972, everybody went to bed with Johnny Carson at 1130. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, millions of people go to bed with dozens of different people. Right. You don't even watch Fallon until you log into CISO the next day. Right. And so here is a streaming service, which is basically, you know, participating in the fragmentation of the media ecosystem. And on the upside, we allow people to find the things that they want to watch at the very moment that they want to watch them. On the downside, we've lost the common campfire that we had when everybody went to bed together with Johnny Carson. In 1972, the number one show in America was All in the Family, and we all watched Meathead and Archie argue it out in front of us. And then we went to work the next day and stood around the water cooler and used the same common language to argue between our meatheads and our Archies. But we don't have that. We have this great fragmented thing where I can find great content for me, but I'm not necessarily having a conversation with anybody who disagrees with me. And, and that's what this show, this basically looks back at a time where we at least all had a common language. Interesting. I mean, I, that I know you're tight on time, but thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking with us uh, about the, uh, sure. the platform. Mike's obviously the biggest fan of CISO, but it's a great service. If our listeners want to check it out, they can get one month for free right now. Use promo code RHAP at CISO.com. And Evan, uh, we're really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with mm-hmm. next. Thanks so much. Evan, do you, do you want to, uh, any, besides the CISO, do you, are, are you on social media? Do you want to uh, give out a handle or anything? Uh, I would probably put at CISO TV. At CISO TV. All right. 
Thank you so much. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Bye, Evan. Bye. All right, Mike, there you go. You're one step closer to the Mike Bloom show on CISO. <laughs> yes, uh, I need, it needs to be set in the 70s, though. It seems like that's sort of the, uh, the, the stream they're going down at the moment. <laughs> How about this? It's 2010, okay? And uh, there are all these kids who are in uh, the Rob Has a Podcast intern group. And so they're all trying to, you know, like look up things that are happening on Survivor uh, about the podcast and like putting tweets together. And then you get to see like all of the behind the scenes drama of what was going on into Rob as a podcast. And then at the end of each episode, Mike, then you get to hear the whole podcast from that week. And we use like the real footage from RHAP. I can't wait for the episode where you tried to call Stephen Fishback, but instead got a rather irate listener. I'm sure that's going to be <laughs> absolute gold behind the scenes <laughs> all right well that'll be very exciting because so can't wait for that. again we're just like like we got to talk to cochran see if he's available to start writing a synopsis cochran david Wright. <laughs> i feel like that's the survivor writing pairing that needs to happen to, in order for this to get off the ground <laughs> yeah they need to start interviewing all of the interns from then so yeah it's a it's a really big undertaking so uh but looking forward to that mike uh thank you so much for uh for coming on and talking some CISO. i know that from you uh like this is not a bit right. You are you are honest to goodness uh, that you're watching. No, nobody could be as good as faking this with you. You talk about CISO. No, definitely not. I mean, I honestly, if you have not checked it out yet, Rob gave the promo code. Do it. I'll I'll guarantee there's at least something out there for you. If you're uh, a comedy purist, you want to look back into the archives. We just mentioned the myriad of shows that exist. If you want to look at the new stuff, as I just mentioned, I binged all six episodes of My Brother and Bro- My Brother and Me, the first season over the weekend. Highly recommended, especially if you're a fan of that podcast. So there really is so, so much to offer. And there's building content, as Evan just talked about, uh, even by the month. So definitely check it out. Hop on the train right now before it speeds away from the station. <laughs> or or tomorrow you could hop on the train. That's fine. There's no or tomorrow. The, yeah, the train. The train's on us. It's sort of lulling in the station right now. You but... don't have to put pressure on people, Mike. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm sorry. I'm trying to depressurize the situation as much as possible. Boy, I can't wait for the episode of Behind the Bell that covers this <laughs> podcast. The bell. And I was pressurizing people to, 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 to see so ASAP. I think that's the name of uh, Dustin Diamond's biography. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no! Right, that's a happier ending. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> follow the great Mike Bloom on Twitter. He's at a Mike Bloom type. And uh, Mike, looking forward to whatever the uh, next thing you and I work on together. And of course, RHAP listeners could hear you coming up on the RuPaul's Drag Race wrap up. And what's going on? RuPaul is moving to VH1 now. Yeah, so uh, it was simulcast the last time for All Stars Two. Uh, it was showing on both. VH1 and Logo at the same time on the same day. Now it seems like Logo is taking the backseat and letting VH1 drive <laughs> in that VH1 is now airing the show Friday nights, which I would argue might be a little bit of the graveyard slot as we've seen with Amazing Race. But I don't know. I've heard a lot of clubs often play RuPaul's Drag Race and have viewing parties. So that might be good in terms of business for the weekend. But yeah, VH1 is now officially broadcasting it. I think that's good considering that 
I don't want to disparage Logo at all, but I think VH1 is a more credible network than Logo. But it should be exciting. Uh, at the time we're recording this, we'll be back in only three weeks' time. Very, very excited to be uh, hitting the runway once again. Well, they have bigger distribution because I- I'm on like on DirecTV that I have like uh, like one of the middle tier packages, and I don't even think I get Logo, and it's not like I'm on like the most uh, basic package. Uh, I-, I don't think that they mean to like uh, really insult their packages by calling them basic. But, you know, I'm, I'm like uh, one or two up from that. And I don't get logo. No, insulting packages is something that should never be done. Uh, both in talk about TV and outside. Yeah, and certainly not on RuPaul's Drag Race. OK. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, Mike, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon.